WOWDLP Tacoma Park. The sacred writings of the Baha'i Faith teach that music is a ladder for the soul. My name is Jack Gordon, and I'm host of Interfaith-ish. On this ongoing series of conversations that I'm calling Soul Ladder Music, I invite you to climb with me as we hear songs and stories from a diverse array of musicians who connect sound and spirit. My guest this week is Oud player Huda Asfor. Huda's life and music are testaments to her belief in transcending borders, both political and spiritual. In our conversation, we trace the connections between Huda's improvisational orchestral performances and her responses to the occupation of Palestine. We begin with Kuni, the title track of her 2018 album, before exploring how Huda's background in biomedical engineering informs her songwriting. Love 
In 2019, I basically took the decision to finally become a full-time musician and quit my, my academic job. I am trained as an electrophysiologist, so basically I study I studied for many years the uh, electrical activities in the heart and uh, and in, in cardiac cells, basically, the, the cells that you find in the heart. Mm. Fascinating journey, but I was uh, called to really focus my passion for education also on exploring improvisation as a creative tool and a tool for people to express and think and imagine really music sound and the experience of making music differently do you find that there's there's a connection with some of your scientific work around the heart and energy and and the reactions to hearing some of the types of music that you're creating with your co collaborators I do believe that everything is about waves at the end of the day. I was studying waves. They, they were just different kinds of waves. And actually mm. the way I got to study electrical waves was a desire to understand music on an engineering level. Mm. So the story was the typical, you know, a good student, uh, parents want you to be, you know, successful. So engineering was one of the paths. Um, Right, right. And then I found love, actually. Uh, I always knew I was going to do music. So that was a parallel path that was always sort of uh, going on, no matter what was going on in my life academically. Um, and uh, really, at some point, things merged a little bit. I was studying signal processing. And for me, the, you know, like the, the tools I've learned as an electrical engineer are serving me so much as a musician now. My understanding of sound and frequency, my capacity to think uh, from a technolog technology point of view as well, at right. least to have the familiarity with that. Uh, it's, 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 so things are very, very, for me, very um, connected actually, much more than, than we may perceive them to be. I love that you have the benefit of the academic rigor and scientific background to to bring that perspective to uh, the music work that you do. And then likewise, it sounds like your research was was informed by this deep love that you have for for the music and uh, and the ways that you're, you know, making those connections, maybe scientific and and maybe some things that, uh, that go beyond the realm of of what we can you know quantify in science. Yeah, I mean this is this is it really. Science is just a tool to understand the universe, and music is part of that. So I don't know. It's just uh, for me sometimes I I find that maybe the equation has been flipped a little bit. Mm. We we see science as the reference, but really science is the tool. Uh, the reference is uh, something we're trying to understand.
in a family that had a strong spiritual foundation or a religious motivation for the way life was organized or or were they uh, fairly secular my parents were fairly secular and i grew up in a fairly secular country in the sense that religion was a strong part and spirituality was a strong part part of the culture but mm. was not imposed in any social form and where was this that you grew up so I grew up in Tunis. I was born mm -hmm. in Lebanon in 1982, you know, the midst of the Israeli invasion. And then mm -hmm. my parents left to Syria for a bit, and then they settled in Tunis. Uh, so I, I, was, I wasn't even two when we got to Tunis, and I stayed there until I was 14. So many of my formative years were really, you know, like my childhood really was there. Um, mm. So my parents came from a secular background, uh, both socialist and communist um, political affiliations. My mother was uh, very spiritual, actually. A spiritual communist. Sp spiritual uh, socialist, maybe. Socialist, uh-huh. Uh yeah. I actually uh, was very, very fascinated with the philosophy of, of the Islam very early on in my life. Mm. Um, and I was reading um, lo a lot about the science and the philosophy and all the, the sciences that were happening in the golden era of the Islamic empire. And so fascinated with the with with the with the universe generally, you know. And what touched me the most, I think, in exploring the Quran was the verses that spoke of the universe and mm. uh, descriptions of God uh, that were that were so abstract and so beautiful. And uh, I was really lucky because of the secular upbringing to have also the freedom to explore my spirituality uh, in a way that was not put in any kind of boxes. I was given, you know, access to think through the language, actually, and the Quran from the source. Uh, 
So yes. my mother gave me a few dictionaries and she's like, this is the Quran. There is an interpretation of the text. But if anything doesn't make sense to you, you can look into other interpretations. Mm, mm. But so long as things line up with your values, you should be okay. So I, I really had to, the, the benefit of truly, truly becoming also curious about this in, 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 in the early years and explore it from very different perspectives without any obligation or fear or a sense of um, social constructs, in a, in a, in, if that makes sense. It sounds like a really beautiful and encouraging environment to grow up in. It sounds like your mother was, was uh, you know, a, a comfortable and confident in in that exploration, as opposed to you know, and some sometimes there's a rigidity that that speaks to a, a fearfulness of of the rest of the world. It Absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Was that, was that reinforced in the in the society that you grew up in from from your time that you remember from being in Tunis? Uh, Tunis uh, was really beautiful in that sense. I, I had no issues at all. Actually, what happened is that when we moved to Gaza, I was faced by a more um, orthodox understanding of the religion. Mm. And I didn't know how to deal with that. So I retreated for a really long time. Mm. and focused more on the Sufi traditions mm -hmm. and understanding that perhaps it's okay to have different understandings of the religion and that my spirituality was something that was very personal and that I didn't need to discuss it even with anyone. Mm -hmm. And I lived like that for many, many years, actually, and I still do. I still do believe that spirituality is a very personal thing and that all we can do is respect that people find their way to their truth, to the truth, to their spirituality and their peace in their own way. Would you say that you... Um you know, consider yourself uh, Sufi or more broadly Muslim at this time, or is it somewhere else that you that you find yourself? I I always joke that I maybe I'm I'm an aspiring Sufi, but I don't. <laughs> that think sounds that, very Sufi. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but I don't think that I am necessarily um, living a life that would necessarily fall under the Sufi umbrella. But I do believe. Um, spiritually strongly actually yeah. uh, that no matter really truly no matter how you understand you the universe some things are just there because they're true mm. and we all get there more recently uh, Ramdas has come into my life also as, okay. a, as a spiritual figure Sure. And um, I've been curious about some of his lectures. Um, and in one of them, he talks about how basically he's, he's talking about all these experiences he's gone through. And uh, a woman in the audience was nodding. And uh, as he was leaving, they talked. And basically, he understood that she got there to the same realizations, to the same conclusions uh, mm. through crochet 
or tricol or you know something that allows you to sit in that state and really yeah. you know meditate in whatever way you you see so the answers are sometimes for me is a bit simpler and i just wish that people could see that your main instrument is that right the wood now is my main instrument yes when did you really fall in love with with this uh, instrument i fell in love with this instrument seeing my grandfather uh, we met in amman you know like palestinian diaspora like you meet wherever you could meet and at mm. the time my sister and i finally got a visa to amman it was my uncle's wedding and i hadn't really spent much time with my grandfather he lived in syria uh at the time and uh, uh i he he was a player and a beautiful singer and really a fascinating man uh, who's lived a very interesting life uh, settled in baghdad after uh, leaving palestine in 1947 and or leaving i mean he, he like he was forced like you know right. thousands right. of people uh, to leave we, we were actually celebrating we're celebrating remembering uh, 75 years of uh, ongoing nakba actually um right and for people who don't know this is uh, the day more than in some estimate 750,000 people were killed or had to leave uh, their homes in Palestine due to the um, establishment of uh, the state of Israel. So that was the really one of the very few times where I spent a long time with, me, with him. And I saw for the first time the impact he had in the community. So this instrument wasn't just 
for entertainment. Like people got together, they had a beautiful time, they could sing, some people danced, uh, some people just sat and listened, some people cried. And it was really beautiful to see how this instrument sort of also brought this community together in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that touched me a lot. I, I was playing guitar at the time and starting to learn about maqam in school in Tunis. And I went back to my music teacher and I told him that I was curious about this instrument and if he could show me how it works. And he explained a few things to me. And then he basically told me that, that we, we should just basically take this to another level. And I registered in the conservatoire in Tunis. And that's where my oh. formal training really started. And how old were you? I was 13 at the time. Wow. We moved to Gaza short after. And I continued taking private lessons. Uh, and then a conservatoire uh, opened up in Gaza, actually. It was one of the first music schools to be established there. So I joined it. And then two years later, we moved to Ramallah. And I joined mm-hmm. the conservatoire in Ramallah, which is now the Edward Said Conservatory. Uh, and there I met uh, someone who's really impacted my life uh, tremendously, my mentor, Khaled Jubron, uh, through whom I understood really different aspects of music. And through the years and working with him and joining his workshops, uh, I got to meet Indian musicians, Irani musicians, musicians from the Arab world that otherwise... Mm. I didn't know we're actually doing things very similar and asking questions that were very in uh, very similar to the questions we were asking about identity, about uh, um, how to use your repertoire, how to use your history, and how to also find a contemporary voice in the, at the same time. So it was really life-changing to be around all these cultures, but also all these amazing minds. Um, and to understand, uh, to start to understand music uh, beyond the entertainment, beyond uh, the pop, beyond uh, what was uh, beautiful sometimes, and to understand other aspects of it. And this was this was all happening in, in during while you were living in Palestine, that, that the, the yeah. various musicians were coming to visit you at the conservatory. So no, so we we so many of these actually workshops happened after the second the second intifada. Mm. Actually, the the music scene in Ramallah between ninety eight and two thousand and two thousand really was blooming, blooming in the sense where Ramallah became uh, a place where people came to play concerts. It was a really flourishing scene. And mm. a very strong musical scene because the people who came out of the conservatoire had strong musicianship skills. And um, also uh, there was sort of an, an intellectual aspect also to the music that was happening in Ramallah at the time. And that was just in inspiring you know it was a new thing and you could see also like early um early signs of a an electronic scene and uh, a little bit of a rap scene yeah it sounds wonderfully diverse 
yeah, in terms so of the different you, music. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it was really a blooming uh, scene. And then uh, after the Intifada, things kind of like took a, a very different uh, direction. Mm. It was very hard to keep meeting. I mean, I remember like it was it was almost impossible for us to rehearse for one of our shows. We had been invited to he he had been invited to Alexandria to play, and we basically did the rehearsals over fax at the time. He would send us no wow. like the scores. We would we would study alone, and then our first rehearsal was in Cairo because we couldn't meet in Palestine. He lived in Jerusalem. We lived in Ramallah. It was almost impossible to meet at the time. Wow. Uh, checkpoints and, you know, threats, uh, bombings. Uh, we were under siege for many of those months. Um, it was really, um, it was really challenging. Um, but then in 2002, I left actually to Egypt to continue my education in Alexandria. And okay. so many of these events were starting to happen in, in Egypt. So I had a very, uh, I had the opportunity to really be in many of these events because I was living there also. Uh, so it helped me have access to those workshops. To be in the midst of this turmoil outside of your control, but having such a big impact on the way that you created music, the way that you um, were able to pursue your education. How do you how do you feel like those things impacted your your sound and the music you you ultimately create today? Oh, you grow a lot of anger, you know, when when you live in injustice for a long time, and to get rid of that took many years. Hmm. But I really. I am grateful that I had music as an outlet for some of that anger. Um, it became sort of a, 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 a space for you to, for us to, to shout and to sort of try to channel the pain and I don't know, it's injustice. It's the, the injustice you see, the, the suffering that is imposed on people Unnecessarily, really. Unnecessarily. Yes. Yeah, and, and I remember after the massacre of Janine in 2000, and must have been 2001, 2002, something. I mean, you, the memory becomes a bit blurred um, for, with these times. Um, there was no other outlet. Like, I had to write. I started writing, and yeah. one of the early songs actually was adapted from from a piece that I wrote, a journal entry that I had during the siege in Ramallah. Tamir Abu Ghazali, my, my, one of my first uh, music partners. Uh, we had a duo then that turned into a, a project in Egypt. And our understanding was that we want to revisit our folklore, folklore and our tradition with the, with the understanding that we are two angry young people coming mm. out of war. Yes. Um, and the music really reflected that. Mm -hmm. You could hear it. It didn't matter that we were holding roots. It almost sounds like rock at some point. Like, yes. you know, we yes. were really uh, trying to 
to reflect those emotions. And I mean, this is music, right? I mean, genuine music is a reflection of, of, of your state. The music I'm creating today is a reflection of who I am today through the hard experiences and the suffering that I've been through. I, I also now have a different understanding of things. You know, and like, I mean, what this, this, the, these new projects and improvisation for me have been also an outlet to, to bring in a different experience of music. Not, not about the commercial side of things, not about the expected way we deal with the entertainment side of music, but in, in the sense that I really want people to be in a space where they can breathe, where can mm. they, where can they, where they can leave the day behind them, mm-hmm. where they can mm-hmm. renew their energy, uh, where we can all go into uh, a bit of a meditative state. And when I hear people come out of a concert and tell me that this happened, for me, this is, this is really all I can hope for as an artist. I'd love to hear from you if you can recall some of the artists and if there are particular songs from them that were really key in your development as an artist or through these different periods of life. When you were a young person in Tunis, for example, did you have particular uh, musicians that were really formative for you as a as an adolescent yeah for sure uh as a child actually uh, sabrine band with their lead vo- vocalist camilia jubran shaped so much of my uh of my early understanding of 
music. I, I was really into the the music that they produced. And uh, the songs were very great because also they spoke of of the Palestinian reality then. Um, but also the music was always fascinating for me. So you, I think once you hear the the albums, you'll understand the connections. There's so much uh, in in those compositions that inspired me as a child. From the contemporary scene, Anwar Ibrahim was one out player and composer who really uh, touched me. I learned uh, to appreciate colors in the instrument through him. Mm. He played um, he played with such sensibility. Uh, he still plays with such sensibility, but the early albums were very, very, very uh, important for me. There was an album with uh, a very famous Tunisian uh, singer, Lutfi Bouchnaq. Um, they had, it was called, uh, I think, Al Halfaween. That was really uh, an important uh, album for me. But then, because I discovered Anwar Ibrahim through through that album, and he became an important person for my uh, for the way I perceived the instrument later on. talking about you had a sound that you know almost bordered on on rock because mm. of the way that you were channeling this anger that you were feeling what, what was the type of music that you were listening to at that time that you know like the band mc5 says you know looking to kick out the jams you know that's sort of feeling for processing those emotions I think, you know, what's interesting is that, I mean, I listened to, to many things like Tori Amos, Pink Floyd, um, Race Against the Machine, even at some point, like in that of era. But, um, but really what was, 
what was, I think, very, what I remember very clearly in that time is that I listened to a lot of Arabic music because I was studying Arabic music on the conservatoire and I was really going deep into maqam theory, trying to understand the taqasim. So a lot of that really heavy listening. Uh, but what I remember is that we, I didn't feel like any of that music really expressed how I felt. So neither yeah. neither the Western rock really expressed how I felt as an Arab woman, n- nor the Arabic repertoire really reflected what I was looking for in terms of emotion as someone who lived in that state and in the 20, 20th century or 21st century. So mm-hmm. I think that the project with Tamir was our way to find the sound that we were both looking for. That, that music that really could reflect our identity fully. Particularly when I think about, you know, friends that are around our age, uh, the different life experiences that they've had, the ones that are, you know, the healthiest, I think, to to be able to move in the world have come to the type of conclusion that that I hear you talking about where at some point one has to understand how to find a place of meditation amidst that turmoil, you know, because the pain and the experience and the memory doesn't go away. But how is it that you continue moving you know, in a peaceful manner? How do you move in a meditative state just in life through that? And when I hear you talking about the evolution of the type of music that you're making, I hear some of that similar theme um, echoed in in what it is that you're saying. Yeah, for sure. I think the meditative state also gives you a perspective that is clearer in terms of how you really can be effective as well. Yeah. Um, I think for, for many years, I wanted to be loud because we had to be loud because we were unseen. Our issues were misinterpreted, not misrepresented, truly misrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, we were seen... Um, and still are as Palestinians in in a land that is really uh, very difficult to make peace with. And I really needed to be loud. I wanted to have the platform to speak up about what is going on there. I don't think most people know how bad daily humiliation is, how bad the like every day every day you live with some sort of pain knowing what's going on there mm. and then mm. i think for me also 2011 happened 2010 happened and 11 what happened in tunis and egypt and then syria and the pain became immense Immense, like there were there were no limits to to the injustice in in that sense, you know. It was coming from all sides, and I think 
in that moment for me, things sort of became more conceptual. It wasn't about me being Palestinian. It was about me being human. And it mm. was about all of us really having to fight for the same thing. There's mm. so much greed. There is so much injustice. There is so much disregard to the urgency of the moment we're in, in terms of environment, in terms of humanity. And truly, for me, this is absolutely unnecessary suffering. Right. I mean, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Afghanistan, Sudan, Ukraine, it's, it's all over. It's all over in Brazil and, you know, like the suffering is really common. Right, right. And the solution would have to become universal at some point. We can't like, you know, yeah, I mean, I can, for me, Palestine becomes an icon for a much bigger issue that we're all facing. But it is a very immediate and uh, jarring icon. I mean, this is an example of an injustice uh, that is blessed by the world. And this is the difference, right? I mean, most of the other things we say, oh, no, this is not okay. But when it comes to Palestine, saying that this is not okay somehow takes other aspects. And you become the villain for saying that this is not okay. And... In that sense, for me, I am really concerned with the universality of the issue and not with it becoming a local issue. It's not mm. about Palestine. It's about the greed that exists in this world. And it's about a political system that really does not care for our well-being. Not just a political system. It's, it's a whole system of all of things. So the only way is to care for our own being. And the only way I have now is through, you know, music and creating spaces where people can at least go into these moments of peace, even though temporary. back to what you're speaking about at the beginning of the conversation of of the the waves 
the electric waves, the energy waves, the sound waves, how it impacts us and 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 particularly if we think of the heart all of these these waves are moving through us and between us all the time music is one of those things that feels like it can alter something it can change it can remind us of that interconnection that we have in a way that sometimes talking about it <laughs> doesn't doesn't it doesn't quite have the same effect yeah i mean there is no doubt we're at the end of the day biological creatures that do respond to frequency that there is no doubt about that my my only concern with with that is that we should still speak about it Yes. We should still talk about this. We yes. should still be able to see the other person's suffering and acknowledge it and really speak to consistency. Consistency, I think, is important in our values. I think so many of these spaces over time have come to a point where it's like we're okay here. But outside, we're still not okay. We're still not seeing mm. eye to eye. I still think that I will still support the people I support. But uh, I mean, my hope is that we can create those spaces where we can remember that we are human at the end of the day. Mm. But also be able to, to truly be brave about how we discuss our values. Maybe this is actually a good time to also tell you about this new endeavor um, that we're starting. Um, so three years ago, I started delving into conducted improvisation as a way of making music. And uh, I actually took a workshop with Anthony Coleman and it changed my perception of how all of this works. Wow. Uh, so I became very curious about improvisation and I applied for a grant and got a small grant uh, from Mufradat, uh, an organization uh, based in, in Greece now. Um, <laughs> and uh, the grant allowed me to go to Egypt and do some workshops on improvisation and try conducted improvisation in different set settings. And then more recently, I collaborated with OIOAS, uh, an orchestra in Napoli. Um, Valentina Ciniglio uh, and I facilitated a workshop in Cairo and another one in, in Alexandria with 30 musicians in each uh, workshop, six of which came from Italy, joined us. And this was the beginning of uh, two new bodies that we hope will be sustainable. At least uh, the Cairo one has started uh, rehearsing more regularly. Um, and the beauty of this project is that there is no, the leadership is horizontal, so there is no one conductor. Mm. Everyone in the orchestra learns the gestures needed to ask musicians to produce different ideas or sounds. And through 
passing conduction from one to another. There is so much beauty that is created. So you're actually living in, in watching a very interesting human experience where there's so much trust in this one person that's guiding the whole orchestra. But also there is also the 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 beauty of seeing the different kinds of leadership you can have, because every person comes on stage with their own aesthetic, with their own idea, with their own understanding of how the sound can come out of this orchestra. And you see the different styles manifest so beautifully. And we're trying to do the same now in Brooklyn and hopefully in D.C. soon as well. And uh, perhaps this is the, uh, you know, like the culmination of all all the things uh, for me, the social aspect, the uh, the more academic, educational side of things and the artistic side coming into one place. Uh, so uh, probably one of the most exciting projects I've uh, ever worked on to, to now. Thank you.
The last thing that I, I ask all my guests about actually has to do with the title for this series. So the series is called Soul Ladder Music, and that title actually comes from a line from the holy writings of the Baha'i Faith, which talk about how God has made music as a ladder for our souls. And I wonder for you, how does that image strike you what is it about um it does that visual speak to you in any way how do, how do how do you hear that idea of music being a ladder for our souls yeah i mean a gate a ladder uh yeah I think music is a tool, right? Like every tool, you can use it as a ladder for your soul, but it can it can also serve other purposes. Um, it's all about intentions. At this point, do you do you find that there's a a specific intention that you set out anytime you pick up your instrument? Yes. I think it has become much more of a, a soulful journey for me. Um, I find myself trying to, to play more and more music in the meditative sense where my brain is not the one running the show, mm -hmm. but where I can sit with the instrument and sometimes really listen, even to you know to what to to the listen instead of trying to make the music to try to listen really to what what I can be hearing that I'm not used to playing. Yeah, I find that many times actually in that process, I I hear music that I can't necessarily play, which pushes me to 
have a different relation with the instrument as well. The more that I talk to musicians, I realize that there is that ineffable, indescribable thing that it, it sounds like it resonates with your experience that there's, you know, there's sometimes music that's out there that you can hear, but yeah. you're you're reaching for it, right? That you're striving. In a sense, we're all antennas, right? In a sense, in 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 one way or another, we're we're antennas of in this like you know humongous field. So I think if you, the more you sit in silence, the more you'll be able to pick up things. And music is just one of them. Puto, thank you so much for for taking the time to be with me. Thank you, Jack. Thanks so much. Thanks again for making the climb with me this week on Soul Ladder Music. You can learn more about Huda Asfour at hudaasfour.com. I'll have this link and links to all the songs in this episode in our show notes. And you can look for all the episodes in our Soul Ladder Music series across podcast platforms. Be sure to check out the Soul Ladder Music playlist on Spotify for music from all our shows. Thanks to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music and to associate producer Aiden Keys. Keep tuning in to WOWD 94.3 FM, Tacoma Radio, for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org.